Right, so my deadline for a feature is just a few days away and I'm really struggling to find case studies. I've been told about Cision's media request service, which helps journalists find interviews and quotes at short notice. So here goes. Cision.co.uk dash journalist hyphen services dash media hyphen requests dash. Great, this is just what I need. PR for companies, charities, leading lifestyle brands, it's all here. Ooh, it even says that if I don't have time to put the request out myself, we've all been there, right? Cision Media Requests team are on hand to help out. And hey, for a rainy day, they can even direct you to PRs in specific sectors, so no faffing around with hashtag journal requests. Content, samples, case studies, sources, I've got it all here on cision.co.uk dash journalist hyphen services dash media hyphen requests dash Consider this feature filed. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode, with the help of two fabulous guests, we give you practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself. We're now in series nine and we're getting back to basics. Yeah, so we're going to cover all those topics that are essential for anyone working as a freelance journalist and really focus on how we can hone our skills and give our career and work a bit of a boost. This week, the topic is how to sell one story in multiple ways. So how do you get maximum bang for your buck and make the most of a topic that you've been looking into? Yeah, this is really important issue because as freelancers, we want to, of course, maximise our income uh, and make the most of all those lovely stories that we've come across. But before we get on to that, let's discuss our highlight of the week. Lily, what's yours? I think mine is, um, I was just checking a few stories the other day of, of mine to see whether they'd actually gone online. And um, I went onto the Runners World website and there was my piece smack on the homepage as the lead story, um, which was really nice, actually, because I've, I've done loads of stuff for them before, but it's normally buried away in various different pages. So it was nice to have a piece I'd just done go straight up and go onto the homepage. So that was a nice little surprise. It's a bit like when you're on the sort of front page of a magazine a bit now, kind of starting to appreciate the web a bit more. It It's become a little bit more uh, special now, I think. Um, print has always been so sacrosanct, but um, yeah, it was a nice, nice surprise. How about you, Emma? Yeah, I do like that when you kind of open a website and it's your story that's the prominent, the top of the page. Um, yeah, so this week I used my journalism power for good uh, and I tweeted about a problem my sister was having getting my niece into a school. They've just moved from London to Sheffield so we could help them out a bit more. Uh, and my niece has type 1 diabetes, she's five, and basically schools were essentially refusing to let her join because they would have to do all this extra training uh, to let her on there. And my sister had tried for weeks and weeks to sort this out when it wasn't going anywhere. And I said, can you please let me tweet? Can I tweet now? I've been asking, <laughs> I've been asking this for weeks. And surprise, surprise, within half a day, it was all sorted and she's starting at school next week. Um, so, yeah, as well as a couple of formal complaints that they did to the council about this situation. 
shouldn't take a family member who's a journalist to get these things sorted but sometimes you've just got to do what it takes to make people sit up and listen because we tried everything else and we weren't getting anywhere but it was a very positive outcome in the end and my my tweet nearly went as far as that one that I did my most famous tweet with just the <laughs> bread with the hole in the middle that went completely viral you never know what's going to attract people's attention on Twitter do you? Yeah it it is such a shame that you had to go to those lengths but do you know what I do it all the time if I'm not getting anywhere the usual channels I I have to go the press route it's the only way sometimes to get things done sad state of affairs but at least we can um, use our journalism force for good even if it's it's personal sometimes. Right, okay, we're going to go on to introducing this week's guests. So we have with us Florian Sturm, who's an experienced freelance journalist based in Germany, writing about science, conservation, travel, sport, outdoors, culture and photography for the likes of Greenpeace magazine and National Geographic. He's just done a masterclass on the topic we're talking about today for journo resources, so we've caught him at a very good time. Yes, and we also have with us Gabriella Felita, a journalist writing about women's health, sex and entertainment. Gabriella is based in Surrey and has had bylines in Glamour, Cosmopolitan, Elite Daily, The Mirror, Metro and has worked at the Lad Bible Group and Mail Online. So thanks both of you for coming on today. I think this is a, a really interesting topic and something we get asked about a lot. Obviously, as a freelancer, you have to be efficient and make the most of your time and your work. So it'd be great if we can kind of dig into some of the detail of this. Florian, if I can come to you first, could we just start by you giving us an example of a story that you sold and perhaps how you then repurposed that for different publications? First of all, thank you very much for, uh, for having me. I think one neat example would be a science story I did for, I think it took almost a year. Um, it's about a seahorse population down in Portugal. I spent two, three winters down in Portugal, living in my van and working remotely from there. And the initial publication uh, was one for Stern magazine, which is basically the second biggest news magazine uh, in Germany. And I did a story about, you know, the, the seahorse population, it used to be the densest seahorse population in the world, but it was under rapid decline and people are trying to save it from extinction now. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, wildlife tra trafficking involved, science, um, communal politics, uh, conservation aspects, of course, as well. And the second, oh, and then I managed to sell it on to Greenpeace Switzerland, which wasn't really interested in the politic, uh, in the politics of it, but they were interested more in the conservation aspect. And then next year, I think just yesterday, actually, I got the, the final edit of BBC Wildlife magazine in the UK. They're going to run it next year as well. Um, and they are sort of more interested in the science behind the animal, the habitat. It's more of a, like a general interest kind of piece. And it will also be published next year in another UK outlet, the Oceanographic, and also in a science and nature magazine in Germany, which is then again more interested in the conservation aspect. I'm going to do an additional interview with a uh, researcher that's involved in the in the project down at the Algarve. 
Um, and that way, I think it's not going to be the last publication, but I've already managed to sell it five times in three different countries, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's really impressive. And can I just ask, are you rewriting that for each publication or is there some sort of crossover with some of the stories? It sort of depends on how much the outlets decide to pay. Um, and also what, what the angle is and what my pitch is. Usually what I do is because I work mainly on long read magazine stories, which take me weeks and months and maybe sometimes a year or more to, to report on and to work on. I've got so much material that usually the way I do it is I write one very, very long story and then I cut out the bits and pieces I need for the various outlets. Obviously, there's always a little bit of twisting and tweaking involved when it comes to the actual outlet, but I mainly draw from this one master document, so to speak, to then um, make it fit into different publications. And it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting there how you've broken that down into kind of the scientific angle, the political angle. Not everybody is going to have the same interest. And you're also thinking about different audiences there, which is something I do quite a lot writing in health because you know, there might be a topic that the general public are interested in, that GPs have a different perspective on, that pharmacists have a different perspective on. And you can, once you've kind of done the background reporting, you've kind of got over so much of that hurdle. And it's then just about finding different interviews for the for the audience that you're writing for. And Gabriella, same question to you, really. Can you give us an example of, uh, of a story, something from your portfolio where this approach of using it multiple times has worked well? Yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Um, and yeah, so um, I wrote an SEO explainer um, for Lab Bible, um, I believe. Um, uh, it was a TikTok trend about how to push down on a woman's stomach. And it was it was quite a, like, you know, a very vague trend. Like no one was really like talking about what it actually meant. Um, I think mainly because you couldn't really explain that kind of thing on TikTok because it ended up being um, a sex trend. Um, so I kind of delve into it by speaking to like different gynecologists and um, sex experts um, for this explainer. And then I kind of took it one step further um, for Elite Daily and pitched it as a first person piece of trying the trend. So obviously I understand that not everyone is going to be willing to like kind of put themselves on the line for a first person piece, like depending on what the trend is. But, um, you know, if you can afford to kind of um, make it a bit more of a personal story, I think changing the angle in that way can work quite well. Yeah, definitely. And you can turn different stories, like you say, you could have a explainer and then you could have a first person piece, you could have... Um, I guess a, a news story, yeah, a different absolutely. kind of feature. There's kind of lots of different ways to do it. Florian, I just wanted to ask you though, do you, I mean, you mentioned you do a lot of sort of long reads and really sort of um, quite, in, you know, intensely investigated stories, but do you think this kind of approach works for every kind of story um, or is there any sort of certain perhaps topics or types of story that, that you can do this with? I think it works generally with every topic. I think what it doesn't work with is time sensitive pieces. 
Um, but you know, it, it can be outdoors, it can be culture. As long as you are able to really dig deep into the protagonist, into the, the topic itself, um, and you're not pressed for time when selling it, because I mean, I'm still selling stories that I've written like three years ago. Um, and that's why I've been focusing myself, or that's why my beat basically is uh, timeless pieces, magazine-ish pieces. And I think Emma, what you also said earlier that it's, very helpful and I think also very important to have the different audiences and potential outlets that you sell to in mind when setting up the preparation for the reporting. As soon as you know this could be like, um, I, you know, I could do an interview for a science magazine with this and then I could do more like a general interest piece and, you know, a lifestyle piece and a culture piece. When you go into your reporting with this mindset, it just creates, it gives you so much more material to draw from in the end. And this works with every topic, every beat, basically. The only constraint I would say is it doesn't work with timeless, uh, time sensitive pieces because it just puts you under so much pressure selling the stories. Yes, and I think quite often when you're doing those interviews as you're reporting on something, the, the ideas then for, oh, that's actually a separate bit that might be kind of a spin-off from this. I get this all the time. It's not necessarily the same piece over and over again, but there's something that somebody's mentioned in an interview that you kind of have to make a note of because that could be something separate for a, for a different audience. I mean, Gabriella, I wonder if, um, I think our listeners might be wondering actually if there's any kind of, downsize to taking this approach so I don't know if an editor might look that you've already reported on this and think that you're not pitching something new enough or different enough for them um you know can you get yourself in a bit of a tangle you know with which bit you're reporting for for which person um you know what kind of things do you might you have to bear in mind on that that side of things I think as long as you're honest and open with the editor so when I pitched to Elite Daily um, I said, I've, you know, I've already done an explainer on this. Um, so they kind of already know that you're kind of expert in this niche or this field or whatever topic that you've already written about already that you want to explore further. So I was kind of open about that, linked to that piece. Um, and they they seem to really like the change of angle. And I think as long as you're, um, you're kind of well equipped with different experts so that you're not kind of tempting the same um, like expert quotes or like points of view um, in the same in like different pieces you have kind of different voices in different pieces I think that's you know that's something to bear in mind and is that your approach Florian are you are you letting editors know sort of where else different versions of this story is going to be it depends really I mean if I do a story for National Geographic and um, I try to pitch it elsewhere. I do let them know that it was a National Geographic because it just gives much more value to me as a journalist and also to the story. But there's another story, for example, it's more like an outdoor story. I went free diving in the Austrian Alps, which was pretty cool and pretty cold. And um, I managed to sell the story, I think, six or seven times. And mostly it was at the same angle, you know, free diving in a in a beautiful landscape and in the middle of Europe and when I pitch that I don't tell them you know you're the seventh publication which is running the story I just tell them the first publication was you know in this and this magazine so I try to be as honest and as transparent and as open as necessary but not too much because that will then decrease the rate they're going to give me 
Yeah, and I think there is value, as you, as you both said there, in saying, look, I have reported, it's like showing the proof of this is a valid story, this is something that people are interested in, it's been here, but actually I've got this new way of looking at it for you, can actually do that, help that job of of selling the story. Um, yeah, let's get down to some kind of really practical advice. Uh, Gabriella, I'll ask, I'm going to come to both of you on this, but I'll ask you first, Gabriella. How much do you change a pitch angle of a story to make it work for another publication, but without you having to do too much work? How do you find the balance there with kind of getting picked up somewhere else, but not completely starting from scratch with, with the story? I think just like a simple change of angle, so or kind of the form of the piece that that you're going to create so if you've done a news story already maybe consider doing a first person piece or if you've done a first person piece maybe consider um turning it into more of a reported feature and interviewing other people that may have experienced that same thing or tried something um so that you've still kind of got the same topic and your same like background information you're not like going too far away from that but you're just slightly tweaking the angle um, just to kind of make the story live longer and across different different brands. Yeah, and of course, you know, we've we've said this in the episodes that we've done on pitching. You need to identify what kind of article you're pitching in order to make that pitch sing. You need to know whether you're pitching a news story, whether you're pitching a feature, whether you're pitching a long read, and to have done your research on that publication to know what type of pieces thereafter and they're interested in to get that to get that picked up anyway um Florian how about you how do you kind of change that pitch that angle enough to attract interest but without feeling that you're starting from scratch with the piece I basically treat every pitch like it's a new one and if I'm I mean at some publications I just resell the story one-to-one I don't do anything with it because I know that they're running it anyway and they don't really have enough money to pay me for you know tweaking and twisting it a lot and then I just basically send out the same pitch that I know has worked before and I just add a sentence in the end oh you know this by the way this story has been published here and here and if I do want to have a different angle then I work from my original pitch and I just you know change it a little bit say you know I could add an expert interview here or you know um I originally originally did this reporting trip for I don't know a travel magazine but on this trip I you know got to know this fantastic designer and he's you know really an icon in the biggest urban slum of Africa and I've spent the day with him so it really depends on the magazine and the story that I, I want to pitch to it it varies from using the same pitch literally to getting a completely new one yeah and I think that's the thing isn't it it's taking it case by case and there's no sort of one size fits all for every publication and for every angle and I think you raise an interesting point there as well about speaking to different people for different stories so I mean I I do this quite a lot as well and I'll have like Emma was saying you'll be writing one story and you'll be speaking to an expert and you kind of think oh that just one line they've given you and I've thought that would be really interesting to explore for another article um but it's not the focus of this one that I'm writing so I'll make a note of that but I'll actually ask at the end 
um, is, you know, who are your colleagues in this field? Who else could I talk to? So then I've got somebody else and I'm not using the same quotes. Yeah, and I think this is actually very, very important, especially when you're doing on the field reporting. You know, for example, in 2017, I was on a, a journalism scholarship in Kenya for 10 days, and I was basically doing a story about the new train system that was built by the Chinese. Um, that was the, the scholarship story, but I spent 10 or 12 days there, and I came home with five different stories that I've managed to sell, I think, 10 times already. So when I'm out in the field, I work tirelessly. I look into every angle. I speak to every person that I might find interesting because nobody is going to pay me again to fly to Nairobi or to, to Mombasa. But if I have the access and somebody else has already paid for it, um, you know, I did a piece on me having to spend scholarship money on the black market to finish my story. I did a piece about a designer. I did a piece about the first electronic tuk-tuks in Africa that I was invited to ride. I did a piece on, you know, um, setting myself the challenge to use as many different means of transport in Kenya in 10 days. And I came up with 10 little chapters, which are basically 10 different perspectives on the country. So whenever you're out in the field and somebody else paid for it, work 24 seven and try to get as much material as you can in as many different angles and perspective and beats as possible. Yeah. And are you writing them all at once or do you kind of take them one at a time? What's your process there? Um, it sort of depends. I mean, obviously, my my first goal was to get the scholarship story done, but that was very, very short. And I just I've got my recording device on me all the time. I've got my notebook on me all the time. And I treat every conversation like it would be the reporting proper that I was sent to do. Um, and then because it's, I mainly focus on timeless pieces. I mean, the story with this young designer that was living in Islam, I spent a day with him. He took me to where he grew up. We, you know, he took me to um, an appointment he had with one of the biggest rap stars of Kenya. Um, and over the next couple of months, I just did, I think three or four stories on him. And then half of the money I gave away to, to basically support his business. And um, so it, it wouldn't be possible. The amount of stories I sometimes come home with, it wouldn't be possible to write them all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that you must have to make quite a lot of kind of notes in order to remember and track all these stories that, that you're doing as well. Um, I mean, one thing that ties in to this idea um, of using the same story multiple ways is follow-ups, right? Because if you've written a story on something and I find this all the time you then have that knowledge so after this podcast record I've gotten a phone call that's um someone got in touch with me after a, a story I wrote with a different angle to it and they want to have a chat about it I don't know where it's going yet but I already have this kind of background research that I've done and I've got proven that I can cover this topic and I have access to these experts etc and um, Gabriella is that is that something that you do? You kind of think about follow-up ideas and ways to take the the story on to the you know to the next level, maybe for the same publication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a, a lot of the people I speak to, they'll kind of follow up with me, kind of more in a personal way at first. And then I'll say, actually, you know, would you be willing for me to to tell this story again, maybe elsewhere? And a lot of the time 
they they do want to so I think always you know try and keep those connections um as much as you can um because it's it's invaluable in terms of in terms of your work and in terms of kind of refreshing an old story to make it new and current again yeah and you make another point there about um letting your sources know kind of what might happen do do you always do that do you always you know if you are repurposing a story or or repitching it would you tell your sources you know by the way your your comments might appear in this publication as well or I might need to come back to you to get more material yeah absolutely because I think a lot of the time either they want exposure through like their brand or um organization or charity or whatever it might be or it's a personal story to them and they want it to be told because they want to raise awareness so I think either way it's um it's definitely good to tell them that that you're thinking of of doing that because I think they'd rather hear it from you than just suddenly see their name pop up in (laughs) on a website somewhere or in a magazine (laughs) but yeah I think I think ultimately everybody kind of appreciates that yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely do that. I've ever had a conversation with someone and I think there's a different angle or something, you know, you know, I might pitch this elsewhere. Would you be OK with that? Um, you know, can I come back to you on on this uh, and that those kind of questions? Um, Florian, I just wanted to uh, ask you about some of the practicalities of, um, yeah, keeping track of all these ideas and all this reporting you've you've done and kind of remembering who you've spoken to where and for for what publication what systems do you have in place for um kind of keeping on top top of all that it all sounds very complicated when you when you're doing all this reporting in the field and you come back with all this material it is very complicated and I haven't figured out like a master or a a foolproof system but basically um, most of it is happening in my head actually and then I've also got like a spreadsheet where I try to, um, I, I started to work on a spreadsheet where I try to, um, you know, keep track of the pitches I do and the story ideas, but that got lost after half a year because it's just so much work. Sometimes I pitch to three different magazines through WhatsApp uh, because I know the editor so well and that putting it all into the spreadsheet doesn't really work. So basically what I do is um, I keep, track of the commissions I get. Because usually what I do is um, I don't sell stories, I sell ideas. And only when I get the commission for the idea do I produce a story. And as soon as I've got the commission, I've got my spreadsheet on, you know, how long does the story need to be? What's the deadline and what's the rate they're going to pay me? And that's basically my my main track of or track record of, of um, not forgetting anything. Yeah, and, and Gabriella, you're, um, the type of reporting you're doing is a bit different, so you're kind of frequently working from home. Um, how, sometimes I suppose you might be writing on the, you know, working on the same story, but in different ways, if you're doing kind of a, a first person and an explainer and kind of doing that at the same time. How, have you got any kind of tips and advice for, for keeping track of that and how that works in practice? Well, personally, I have got a pitch spreadsheet, but uh, I'd be lying if I said that I fill it out uh, 100% of the time. So uh, definitely, I think that's going to be my New Year's resolution to kind of keep a better track of that. But um, 
yeah definitely just just do whatever works for you I mean sometimes for me I like to just I like to have a very full calendar like on my phone so I just put in the deadlines and um you know what I'm working on and stuff um in my phone calendar and that works for me um you might prefer a spreadsheet you might just prefer to have like I don't know a notebook with with everything so I think it's just finding what works for you and um make that like your your best way of tracking um what you're working on and um who you're going to next and things like that I mean, one thing that a lot of people ask us is they, they're sort of nervous about reusing an idea in a different way. And they, they worry that editors might um, not be very happy about it. I just wonder if either of you have ever had any pushback from an editor or any sort of negative experiences um, I mean, I know you've kind of you've you've talked about your approaches towards sort of you know how much information you give, but um, you know for those people that are kind of nervous about this, it, is there any any sort of kind of pitfalls that you need to avoid, Florian? What do you think? Quite frankly, I haven't had a lot of negative experiences with this because usually when I try to pitch to magazines, I reach out to my networks of colleagues who've worked. For those magazines before and ask them you know do they uh, do they publish stories that have been published elsewhere i mean obviously if you i don't know go for example take a story from I, I did for national geographic in the uk i can't really do that for another big uh rival magazine that's um that's clear but generally there there aren't really any pitfalls as long as you are open about it i think and um, no, I don't really have any any negative experiences. And I always also try to, you know, every no from an editor. Sometimes they do say that you know if it's public if it's been published here and there we can't run it. But every no from an editor, I try to make it into a chance, and I try to ask a follow up to say basically. So what are you looking for? You know, um, how can I basically pitch a story to you that works for the next time? So every no for me is also I try to make it into a chance and an opportunity. Gabriella you were going to just come in if you what's your experience been on that? Yeah I was just going to say that having worked in um, newsrooms at um, Mail Online and Lab Bible Group I would say that editors are looking for follow-ups um, and they are looking for different ways to tell um, stories and often um, you know they will revisit a certain topic again because if it's something that readers are enjoying and uh, it's getting the engagement and the kind of readership that they need then I think they are open to those sort of opportunities um, and definitely from freelancers but uh, the only kind of pushback I've had is if you know you pitch a story but they've done something that's too similar maybe the same angle or the same kind of uh, form of article um, they may not then want to to you know commission another one um, so I just say be open about that but um, but yeah, definitely follow up with the editor and, and ask them what they are looking for and um, see if you can revise your pitch in that way. Yeah, my last my last final question on this follows quite nicely from your answer there, Gabriella. Um, do you become the go-to person? If you've done a story a few times and there's a topic, does that actually help you then <laughs> when reporting on that story more? Because 
it's kind of right that you know this reporter knows what they're they're talking about this journalist knows what they're talking about yeah I'd, I'd like to think so I mean I have had um editors reach out to me when I've done like a similar story in the past or um the same like with my newsroom experience if it's something that you've already covered already you almost become an expert on that topic um so definitely like keep an open mind with that and use that to your advantage like if this is something that you have access to um or that you are kind of an expert or kind of well-rounded on then definitely use that to your advantage when pitching yeah have you have you found that Florian as well that you become kind of the expert on these topics that you're doing that editors can come to you sometimes it depends on the magazine because usually like with 95 percent of the stories I do they are my own idea so I basically have to pitch them myself. But in this in this pitching process, I obviously do tell them, you know, I've done marine science for National Geographic, for The Guardian, for the BBC, um, and that helps. And in the rare cases, I do get approached by outlets to do something for them. I think it is because they've, you know, read something um, in the same area and the same beat of me before and sometimes it can also be like a geographical advantage for example through coincidence i got my first commission for national geographic in the uk and uh, in, in the us and they don't have a reporter in germany uh, like a, a native german speaker who is fluent in, in writing in english so um the second commission the second story i did for them it was their idea but it was an interesting story in Germany and they don't really have anyone else to report for them in Germany. So um, now the editor doesn't work for them anymore. I think I have to start from scratch again, but it can also sometimes be just a geographical advantage, especially when you're working for international outlets. Yeah, that's a really good point actually. And, I, and also if it's something that you're covering that's quite niche, I've found that word kind of can get around that like you're the person that that knows about that particular topic and I've I've had editors come to me um saying you know I've heard you're the person that writes about running <laughs> apparently there's not that many female writers um writing about running and trail running in particular so I get people coming to me now um and yeah and again I'm kind of writing about the same sort of things but for multiple publications so yeah, I think it does. There's lots of different ways in which it can really benefit you and um, you kind of get that sort of, I suppose, circular economy of, of, of stories. Fantastic. Right. I think we're going to round up now. But what we'd like to do is to ask you both from kind of your one sort of top tip that's come out of um, discussion today. So, Gabriella, could you kind of point us to one thing that you think people could take away? Um, I think keep an open mind when you have your pitches. Um, if you have an idea for a pitch, definitely consider how you could adapt it or change it for a different publication or in a different way. Um, and I think you'll see the results that way. Fantastic. Thank you. Florian, same question, same question to you. What would your one top bit of advice from our discussion today be? When doing the reporting, either from home or out in the field, investigate into as many directions as you can. Go into every rabbit hole that you can find and that you deem interesting, because that's going to end, uh, that's going to give you so much material to work from, uh, from this one 
time from this one reporting trip? Yeah, I think that's really solid advice um, because you just never know what's kind of been going to be thrown up, do you? And it it could be you you start looking at one thing and then there's, it goes in lots of different directions, definitely. Brilliant. Well, as a way of sharing the freelance love, we just want to finally ask you both for a freelance journalist recommend recommendation. So someone who's caught your eye or done a really good piece of work recently. So Gabriella, what would your recommendation be or who would it be? Um, Hannah van der Peer, um, she recently wrote um, a brilliant first person piece about soft launching her breakup. So uh, that was for Refinery29. And um, she took a TikTok trend and she applied it to her own life, uh, if you will. And I think it's just a, a brilliant way of um, using a topic um, to your own advantage um, and just trying it in a different angle. Great. I love how every time we ask this, we get kind of different recommendations. It just shows how many excellent freelancers we have out there. Uh, Florian, same question to you. Who would you recommend? For my recommendation, you guys would have to start learning uh, and reading German, I think. But um, his name is Manuel Stark. He's also a good friend of mine. Uh, he's also a freelance science reporter. And he, I think it's already like a year and a half ago, but it's still one of my favorite pieces of all time. He did a story where he used the narrative and the perspective of a field hamster to write about the housing crisis of Frankfurt. Wow. We'll have we'll have to see if we can dig that out. Sorry, we're a bit speechless. Then. Yeah, I, was, uh, I need to get some Google Translate onto that one, I think. That sounds amazing. We'll try and dig that out and put it in our show notes. Fantastic recommendations there. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, so if you are enjoying the podcast and you want to hear some bonus episodes, you can actually subscribe to the premium version of our newsletter and get more, more of the same. Yes, definitely. For just £3.33 a month, you get our bonus podcast episodes, resource lists and pitching examples. Head over to Substack and search for Freelancing for Journalists or head to our show notes to find the link. Yes, and also in our show notes, you will find all the resources that we mentioned today. Uh, Florian's working on a book and you'll find a link to that as well, as well as other bits of work and other projects from our guests today. Uh, if you want to make more connections with other freelancers, come and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where we've got nearly 6,000 members now. Yeah, and as I say every week, we are still on Twitter. It's still going and we're at Freelancing4 and you can also follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And big thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddie Drury. And we'll be back again next week, but goodbye for now. Bye.